This is How to Japan, where we'll be talking about a range of topics, and today we will be covering Japanese news. How are you doing? I'm、uh, pretty good because I've had two days off national holidays. Very nice. Great. And I'm also kind of happy because I went to Big Camera the other day, and、uh, for the first time in my life in Japan, There was a little section dedicated to GPS watches. Wow. And that made my, that made my day. So I could see, see the whole lineup of Garmin's, Suntos, and Polar's. And the other side, there were fossil、uh, smartwatches, wearables, and all kinds of Fitbits. And usually I can only see those on the internet or in random places, one or two watches. So it was the first time for me to see the whole lineup of watches. Wow, that was a. You, you're in heaven. Yeah. But, you know, I'm not going to buy a watch anytime soon. I just bought one the other about a month ago, so. Yeah, yeah. All right, well. Yeah, that sucks, doesn't it? You've just yeah, bought one, yeah, and、does. then the newer models、yeah. are coming out with it, <laughs> and then you look at them longingly. Yeah, yeah.、Fuck. So now I'm like, why、oh, can't I wait? Yeah, oh, God damn it, that one's really cool. But, you know,、it's、the one I got is pretty、remorse. cool. So, yeah. But,、um, you know, it's so hard to tell things when you're looking on the internet at things and you're like, okay, is that what it is? And then you look at Reddit threads and everyone's, these people just take pictures of their wrists with a watch on it. And you can't really tell. Like, I bought a new watch today. Click.、Mm, and then、mm, they post、mm. it. And you're like, I don't know if that's good or not. I can't tell. But once I get right up on them, I'm like, ah, okay, yeah, yeah, I like this.、Uh, you know, it's hard.、Mm. It's just the way life is sometimes in Japan. Things come very slowly. Three years. I mean, GPS watch has been huge all over in America and Europe. And people are always talking about them, blah, blah, blah. And for Japan, past three years have been interested in them. They just haven't really come up in mass. And I guess because of the quarantine or the, the lockdowns or whatever the hell, people are getting more and more into running in Japan. So I guess they found their market suddenly. And、mm. so they just went out in mass at Big Camera, the big electronics store. Mm, mm, mm.、Yeah. Yeah. Well, what about you?、Uh, no, don't let, me, don't let me bore you with my GPS watch. Banter. No, that's fine. What's going on with you, sir? Sorry,、uh, I don't have anything as,、uh, as interesting as your GPS watch banter.、Um, mm. It's just been another,、uh, another week, another week gone, another week gone by.、Mm-hmm. But I'm really looking forward to this、uh, tonight's topic because I've been collecting、yeah. a few news stories which I think are quite unique to Japan.、Mm-hmm. I can't、yeah. see. Any of these stories happening elsewhere. That's the beauty of this topic of Japanese news. It's quite,、mm. it's like a Galapagos Island of、uh, just strange and unique kind of stories that we don't hear about elsewhere. And where,、mm. um, yeah, so I think it should be interesting. Did you, did you collect、yeah. quite a few different stories? I, I collect some stories. And you know what I did was I kind of I took an angle, and I, I'm not going to tell you my angle yet. Mm. I, but I want to hear a few of your stories, and we'll, we'll, we'll do some、uh, a, a word that I used previously. I'm going to re, re up the word banter. We'll do some banter about your news stories, and then we'll go into some of the stuff I have, and we'll 
go back and forth. You know, that's, you know, people know that's what you do. You have a conversation about stuff, right? Exactly. That's what we're going to do. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Who knows? Yeah. We may come across the same topics. That's right. And then we'll have to fight to the death to who to to decide who owns them. Right. Yeah. Like property. Mm. Like this, this is mine. Yeah, property. Yeah. Yeah. It depends it's on mine. who Even can talk I didn't about write it the it. best. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm better. <laughs> I'm better. <laughs> Don't you dare. Yeah. So I, I want to hear what, what do you got? What do you got? On, what do you got in store for us? You know, I think I'm going to kick things off with okay a story which i have come across time and time again since living in japan for over 10 years and it's it's made the news again recently this was mm-hmm. this was uh yeah only like a week or so old but uh and i want i want to get your thoughts on this as well because okay. I also did a little bit of uh, investigation as to why this happens uh, mm-hmm. and why it happens so often in Japan. So a 70-year-old man, 70, seven yeah. Zero, yeah. wearing stolen woman's underwear, arrested mm-hmm. at her apartment. That's the headline. That sounds awesome. Tell me more about this. <laughs> This this old guy, he stole underwear from this woman's apartment mm. mm-hmm. last week. He was arrested after he was yeah. caught on the balcony of her, of her apartment in a duchy ward. And uh, uh, what floor is this woman's apartment? It doesn't say. I wouldn't it be awesome. If it was like the fourth floor, and he had to climb. Yeah, yeah, to climb yeah, other exactly. balconies to get to that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but according to uh, police, Sadao Nishikata was arrested mm-hmm. on July 16th at the apartment of the mm-hmm. woman who was in her 20s. And right. a male friend of the woman was with her at the time, and he apprehended yeah. the perpetrator. Well, good for him. Yeah. Citizen's arrest. Yeah. 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 And uh, five days earlier, the woman had reported the theft of her underwear, which is a common right. occurrence in Japan. After he was arrested, I just added pro- that part. Yeah. That's not part of the story, but yeah, that's, yeah. Uh, that's what happens. You know, I think one of the issues is that, you know, Japan is a hang your clothes outside culture. And it, that doesn't really happen so much in America. People have dryers. Mm. But in Japan, verandas aren't for really sitting in. They're for hanging your clothes out. And people like the, the clothes dried feel uh, of of those of that rather than having them go through the dryer. There are coin laundries, but mostly you put them out in the veranda and the nice wind comes through a nice breeze and it dries and makes them feel nice in your skin. That's what most people tell me. Yeah. So mm. that, that might be one reason, one con- contributing factor to the, 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 the reason why it happens so often is because people see your laundry outside all of the time. Mm. So as you're walking down the street, you can, you can see that, but that, I mean, of course it's perverse. I'm not, I'm not saying that it's not perverse. Well, it's just one of the reasons why people would often go off and jump into someone's veranda and steal the a women's underwear. I, of course, it's ridiculous, Mm-mm. but you know, out of sight, out of mind, and these are completely in sight on a regular basis. They asked him, like uh, you know, the his mo- motivations, and he just told mm-hmm. the police he wanted to <laughs> steal women's underwear because uh, he quoted he was quoted as saying he got a thrill 
from wearing women's underwear. Mm-hmm. And uh-huh. instead of buying, I mean, like, I don't know. I mean, you could just buy them, can't you? But, yeah, but anyway, I think it's got more of, a, more of a thrill taking them from from the lion. So they're, they're uh, questioning yeah. him uh, about 14 yeah. other recent cases of women's underwear being stolen in the same area. Right. But I think uh, so there are other bandits, could be the other, other underwear bandits. Yeah, yeah. I don't think it's just him. Yeah. He's probably part of a, a larger network. Mm. of uh, an underground network of underwear bandits uh, just a slight just a quick yeah. just a quick tangent do you remember the uh, yeah. chicans you know the the molest train molesters yeah 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 on the trains I mean they're women's only I don't remember carriages. them fondly but yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. and uh, Psycho Line is particularly yeah. notorious oh, yeah, for yeah, it yeah. Uh, because of the mm-hmm. long um, you know the long the long distances between each There's station so many stops yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So uh, it gives chickens a uh, a lot of opportunity. So I was told mm-hmm. by someone when I was a teacher, I was told by one of the students um, why, um, not why, but but the howls of it. And he said that there were a number of different books and uh, publications on the subject, so people mm-hmm. could buy how to how-to books on the subject of, of mm. getting some action on the train. How to grow people. Huh. Yeah. Wow. How to grow people. That was fascinating. That's, um, it, was like a, it was like a deep, um, uh, yeah, it's a knowledge base that just spread, just easily spread through uh, having access to this this information. I guess they were quite, uh, yeah, they, they wanted to share what they learned. These seasoned veteran Chicans, they they had something to share and uh, they got it out. Mm. I don't know how they could publish it though. <laughs> how did you yeah, get publishers on board? Yeah. <laughs> I wonder when these when these were published. Like what what era? Oh in no, this 80s? is back like in the nineties, late nineties, uh, and into the nineties with the Stone Age. Still, I guess. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah. Well, I don't even want to get into that. How sex with minors wasn't illegal mm. until the two thousands. So. Hmm. There wasn't even a well, child, term for it. I mean, a child. even child pornography was Rampant. legal until 2002. That's what I mean. Yeah. So, yeah. And so. I mean, I think having, having sex with children was frowned upon, but you wouldn't go hmm. to jail for it. Yeah. Just get, uh, just suffer some indignity, um, public shaming. But, um, hmm. but anyway, you know, getting back to this topic of underwear. Yeah. Where do you your so your claim is that because women are uh, having their you know getting their clothes dried out in the open that's one of the uh, main men reasons. And women. Yeah. So I don't know if it's I mean it's a contributing factor. It's not a main reason. If people had dryers and they were inside, there would be no opportunity for old men to walk by the house and pull out mm. the underwear from the line be that as it may it's i mean this is a, an issue that is connected to a, a a darker side to the psyche within men's minds which is this constant obsession with you know sex so i i think Clothes drying in and of itself is not sexual in any way. But 
people who are constantly obsessed with it will find any reason any reason for entry into that realm of sexual thoughts and so mm. there are uh, still that's, uh, that's areas of japan that have uh, in parts of tokyo where you can find vending machines that, that sell used women's underwear hmm yeah, it's not uh, exactly something that you come across on a daily basis, but I guess they're in very random spots. Have you ever come across these things? The used panties? Yeah, in yes. vending machines? Yeah, kabuki truck. Oh, yeah? Yep. Okay. That's a very specific spot, though. I mean, it's not like you walk down a regular neighborhood. Oh, not and, near a family you know, mart or anything. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Kind of like it's not red like you're, you're on my district. way to the station. I'll just pick up some dirty underwear on <laughs> the vending machine. It's you know, not like pick that. Up, when I come back from work, I'm gonna, okay, I'll check my list, my grocery list. So I've got mm. my milk, my eggs. Oh, yeah, use, use girls' panties. Oh, that's right. <laughs> well, you know what is really convenient is that they're the vending machines for condoms in front of drugstores. Mm. Yeah. That's something you still see around. Those are, those are just in neighborhoods. You can walk down the street right. and see them. They're not at like child eye level, but they're they're right in front for everyone to see, uh, and I think that's a really good thing to have actually in a neighborhood. I mean, it's that's to me smart thinking on the mm. side of drugstores and society. Mm. So this article I found on uh, it was on Japan Today, mm-hmm. and I wanted to find out more about this fetish it's underwear fetish so i just did a quick right. search and then i came across tokyo mm-hmm. and uh, they've got an explanation here oh okay and uh i'm just reading part of it here they say it's basically america's fault okay the Go fetish on. the fetish can trace its roots back mm-hmm. to right after world war Two. Go on. In the 1930s, it was common for Japanese women to wear kimonos with koshimaki mm-hmm. underneath them. Koshimaki okay. were long pieces of cloth wrapped around the uh, waist, which served as a kind of uh, simple alternative to what we now consider underwear. However, in 1939, many women switched from kimonos mm-hmm. to monpe. That is, monpe is loose trousers that made it impossible to use koshimaki while okay. wearing them. So left with no other alternative, Japanese yeah. women started using Western-style underwear makes with their monpe. I like it. And then Japan entered World War II, uh, and they lost, yeah. plunging the country into economic depression. Suddenly, only Japanese could afford uh, Western-style underwear. So which, from, uh, you know, from prostitutes, the- prostitutes like they're offering their services to American occupation forces, mm. uh, wearing this garb. Mm. Um, so together with that, with the expensive perfume, panties, and drawers, they became uh, associated with sex workers, and as a result, sex itself. Mm. So that so, was the basis of this article: how Western-style underwear became cheaper, more socially acceptable. Uh, we're me- we're all Japanese women are wearing it now, but just on a deeper, darker level, the post-war Japanese fascination with female undergarments survived. Out of the ashes of World War Two, yeah, the, the the panties survived, right? Like a, like a phoenix rising out of the ashes. I thought that was interesting. I'd never heard yeah, about yeah. that before. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. Makes sense. Uh, yeah, I don't know. 
um, if it makes sense to me, but it, it it's interesting to hear the history. Mm. <laughs> I, uh, it makes sense to me. Yeah, yeah. Um, there's this whole line, I think, you know, Japan always gets uh, a weird rap in the world regarding uh, sexual impulses and uh, it's just one of those things that continues onward in that way. Um, I, I wonder though, if you really compare, I don't actually, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do a deep dive into this, but I'm sure there are social scientists who do cross country cultural comparisons or between the, the different fetishes and where they come from and the number of occurrences of these types of things in ratio to the populations. And if Japan is more than other countries or Japan's just constantly getting the flack for, or news getting, it gets into the news more often in, in Japan than it would in other countries. Uh, I don't know. Yeah. Well, I know growing up in New Zealand, I had never heard of this fetish mm. um never yeah never yeah never came across it it wasn't until mm. i came to japan that i i thought oh wow that's a thing yeah wow you would actually take someone's underwear from their clothesline and you would actually scale a uh an apartment building mm. <laughs> to yeah, get access yeah. to to someone's laundry i'm like wow yeah. that's uh it's quite a fetish. I thought it was like a like an isolated case, but I've heard it so often. Mm. I mean, there was like one stage like um, several years ago where I was reading more and more Japanese news. It was almost a weekly occurrence. Yeah. Just re- I was read about it all the time, that along with chikans. And, and I'm not trying to paint Japan in a bad light. Well, I am in some sense, but I mean, it was just a, it's like one of those kinks mm. that was uh, in, in the culture. Yeah. I mean, I mean, they're not hurting anyone except just taking underwear. They're not raping anyone. Yeah. Um, just a real inconvenience if you're a girl. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> it's like, I just exactly. bought these, you motherfucker. Yeah. <laughs> Why do you have to be so invasive? <laughs> Ruin my economy. Yeah. I. It, it's, uh, yeah, it's a, it's an odd thing that, yeah, it seems to happen quite often. I ha- I dated a girl who's who said that w- one week she told me that her underwear was stolen. Mm, off the yeah. line. She she lived on uh, the first floor, so that's mm, one mm. thing. When you start looking at apartments, usually, well, when I my wife and I were looking for apartments a long long time ago, she always wanted to be on the second floor at least, mm. because of such things. Hmm. Yeah, I don't think I don't think that's uh, f- far enough. I think you got to get into you got to give yourself at least uh, yeah ten stories. I think yeah, <laughs> unless you get some <laughs> to protect yourself. Unless uh, Spider Man has a fetish, and then you're just yeah. screwed. <laughs> I yeah. mean, I so mean, uh, Spider Man basically yeah. is under. Yeah, yeah. Go on. Yeah. No, no, that's it. What were you, yeah. what are you saying about Spider Man? I mean, uh he's already wearing underwear so that looks like women's underwear basically it's very skin tight yeah that is true so yeah superheroes are probably not gonna steal your underwear because they already wear underwear on the outside of their bodies so it's nothing to worry about 
Mm. But uh, yeah, it's interesting, interesting stuff, uh, George, if that's your name, mm. George. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so George, I have a story, but here's my tack. Okay. Last week. And you know, for listeners, I I don't know how you're listening to these things where we're just getting this thing started. And we, sometimes we talk about movies and, uh, the other day we talked about Godzilla and, uh, George here, George hated the movie. So I, I started doing some digging and I found something that might warm his cockles, warm the cockles of his heart. Uh, this story is dated April 28th, 1956. And it comes out of the New York Times, Time Machine reprints, digital reprints. So I want to mm. read a little bit for you. And maybe, yeah. uh, 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 you know, it's not going to be exactly... I'm doing this for you. I'm not doing this for the listeners per se. Uh, But if, you know, they do have an interest, they should, you know, listen to the Godzilla uh, movie review. Uh, So this one uh, was written by a person named Bosley Crowther. It's a wonderful Mm. name, Bosley Crowther. And he was the New York Times movie review critic in the 1950s. And he said... He starts off the uh, review as, as though there were not enough monsters coming from Hollywood, an organization that calls itself Jewel Enterprises has had to import from Japan. It's a great scaly prehistoric creature reactivated by the H-bomb test, and it goes by the name of Godzilla. It was introduced to audiences at Lowe's State yesterday. To say that this oriental monster is fantastic is to state but half the case. Godzilla, produced in a Japanese studio, is an incredibly awful film. (laughs) (laughs) Here we go. Ready? Ready? Here you go. I knew it would warm your cockles. (laughs) It looks as though it's Japanese producers, assisted by a stray American fellow named Terry Morris, who is an alumnus of Hollywood's Poverty Row, made a close study of the old film King Kong. (laughs) then try to substantially the same thing with a miniature of a dinosaur made of gum shoes and about $20 worth of toy buildings (laughs) and electric trains. (laughs) Their idea is that this monster, which exhales atomic breath, much as the cigarette billboard in Times Square blows out puffs of smoke, takes it upon itself for no clear reason to destroy Tokyo. <laughs> and a good half hour of the picture's 80 minutes is devoted to this pursuit. Among the mildly horrified observers is the American actor Raymond Burr, who gives a running account of the proceedings. Well, we didn't watch the American version. But uh, he goes on to say, Japanese extras who do nothing but run and scream are throughout the film. The whole thing is in the category of cheap cinematic horror stuff. And it is too bad that a respectable theater has to lure children and gullible grownups with such fare. Wow. Yeah. I hope that makes you happy. I've got two thoughts. Yes. I've got two thoughts. Yes. First, first, well, the first thing I've got to say, yeah, is that I could, uh, that guy who, who wrote that, that piece, yes. that scathing, scathing piece on the movie, mm-hmm. he perfectly encapsulates my thoughts <laughs> back then. I'm talking from 2020. This guy was so close to it. How fucking terrible is it 
It's like seeing a movie yesterday and then <laughs> reviewing it, you know? So you I mean So I, now I, so that's a plus for me right yeah, there. Yeah, that right. Cuz I, I was I, I was like um, tippy-toeing around the fact that I'm looking at it yeah. from 2020. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. I'm I'm looking at it from like modern a modern movie watcher, mm. a moviegoer. I'm watching it now in 2020. Mm. But this guy is what we're 1950 when? How, how close was it? It was the American that's only a couple version. Of years. So it was much worse. It was mm. worse than the original what we yeah, know, so that's like my the, second. That's my yeah. second point. But is that yeah, yeah. he's watched the American version, mm-hmm. which isn't the Japanese version mm-hmm. that we watched, which I, I'd imagine is infinitely better. Yeah, but the points that he makes are the ones that you made in your yeah. review. <laughs> that's why I loved this article, and I knew you would love it. And I know it's not right, something right. like I'm ever, him. I'm just born again. Yeah, you are born again. Been, like <laughs> you are the person reincarnated. Yeah. It, this gives you. I, I think this gives you credentials at this point. <laughs> I could be a New York reviewer. Yeah, you could be a 50s. New York reviewer. <laughs> you know how to look at a movie in the through the eyes of a New York critic from the 1950s. <laughs> So, well, that is very kind of you, mm. and you're very compassionate to bring it up mm. when you loved you well, loved I, the movie. Uh, I I gave it three and a half oxygen destroyers, and you uh, did you did uh, I did enjoy it, uh, and you know it. W- when I read this, all of my uh, praise of it becomes uh, hollow. Like a giant <laughs> barrel, metal barrel, and you, you take a big wooden spoon and you clank it against the insides of it, and it goes pow, 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 and it means nothing. So uh, I, I I knew that you would love this, and that's why I wanted to that tell you. That is brilliant. Um, Thank you. Yes. Thank you for that. So that's that's part of my angle today. I'm using New York Times time machine to contrast things from today and the past. <laughs> Next up is something going to be very interesting, I hope, for you and the audience. But let's jump over to your story, the next story that you have for us. Well, the next one is, do you, are you, uh, I'm sure you've, you're well aware of this, um, the political campaign season uh-huh. in Japan. Yeah. Now how it's a noisy affair. Yeah. There's these cars just blasting audio pollution it's so fucking loud right so I, f- I feel sorry for anyone who's in the unfortunate position of walking down a certain street mm-hmm. and one of these these fucking cars come by mm-hmm. um with their mega mega microphones shouting at you right in your fucking ear yeah um so i bring up the political season is because it's uh yeah that time in japan this is from uh, late June, early July, though. Um, mm-hmm. This was... Uh, I don't know if you heard about this woman. Mm-hmm. She is campaigning... She was campaigning for a seat in the Assembly of Tokyo's Kita Ward mm-hmm. as part of the Horiemon New okay. Party. Okay. Remember Horiemon? Yeah. He, uh, he opened Live Door. He started Live That's Door. That's right. Yeah. yeah. And uh, he was uh, trying to... Yeah, uh, came. He had some very controversial views in in business, um, but anyway, he uh, yeah, this woman. She her her campaign rested upon the fact that she was modeling the face masks mm-hmm. provided to households by the Japanese government, right? 
You know the Abe masks? Yeah. That the government sent out to people during the coronavirus? Which took three and a half months to get to everyone's house. Right, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Where time was critical. Yeah, yeah. and now Those anyone, ones. you can get a mask anywhere now, yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly, yeah. yeah, yeah. So she's wearing Abe masks uh, as a bra. No shit. I haven't heard yeah, this. this all, uh, so online, uh-huh. uh, there's like an image of her. Uh-huh. Uh, I might put it in show notes, yeah. but uh, if you're really that keen, I think you could find it yourself. Right. Yeah, I mean, all you got to do <laughs> it's is kinda, kinda mask. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but she's wearing the Abe mask as a bra around her. Yeah, quite. Uh, yeah, pretty significant breast size. Oh, okay. So I guess they they do. Yeah. Well, well how old is this woman? Not a bad job of. Uh, uh, it. What does it say? It doesn't say her age. That's rare yeah. in any article yeah, about yeah. someone in Japan. Yeah, they always, they always the have the age. Not with yeah. this woman. Yeah. Always the age, but not not with this one oh. where we really want to know. Right. Yeah. <laughs> the one time we want to know. Yeah. How old is she? I, I think she's in her maybe mid-20s. Looks like she's in her mid, mid-20s. Um, but yeah, she's uh, uh, the poster had her with a mask around her, her breasts. With a uh, slogan, smash coronavirus restrictions. Huh. And uh, Abe masks, she called them the uh, Abe mask bra. Mm. So her reasoning yeah. was... Yeah, please tell me this. Yeah. She, it, was criti- it was just criticism of the Abe government's response. Um, Their handling of this coronavirus. Yeah. She says, the, the, the poster is a bit over the top, right. but it isn't just for me to be seen or known. Behind that, I'm saying, as a countermeasure against the coronavirus, to be frank, is it okay to use so much money and only give out these two masks? It's a satirical criticism of the response I love to it. the coronavirus. That's... So that's the number one point yeah. she was trying to make. That's great. And it certainly grabbed a lot of attention. Certainly grabbed my attention. Uh, you know, I, I, it's it makes so much sense. It, you really think the response that the Japanese government has had in in this coronavirus pandemic, the the fact that they were talking about giving out masks and they gave it a cute name, Abi no mask, which is part of the you know Abe's cabinet's campaign. To, yeah, Abenomics. Abenomics, Abe no mask. It's always this. And it's like, okay, mm. fine. That's all cute and nice. But if it's going to take you three and a half months to send out something that by the time it gets to your door, you already have hundreds stocked up because manufacturers have already got to the point to, to reach demand. It was a completely useless. Uh, it was a useless uh, strain on, on the budget, I think. And also, you know, mm. there was something my, my wife was talking about this, you know, Okay, I got my uh, check from the American government a couple months ago in the mail. And I was like, holy shit, that, that came by. The, the Japanese government is still discussing whether or not they're going to send checks out to Japanese nationals living overseas. And when they decide, it could take long, as long as one year before anyone gets that money. A year mm. from now. And they're right. gonna, and they yeah. they will follow through, but it's it's ludicrous how long it's taking them to do things. It, it's it's it's, it's it, it is it's worth it's worthy of satire. I I, pre- I appreciate that. I, I haven't seen that poster, but I think that's a really good use of the Abe mask at this point. 
making bras. So yeah, some some uh, people online have criticised mm-hmm. it. They've said it's be it's uh, demeaning to mm-hmm. women. But uh, this woman Shindo Shindo San, mm-hmm. she demissed. She dismissed these claims, saying she's doing it of her own volition. Right. And uh, these. Yeah, so yeah. she said. Uh, she, she said, "Excuse me, are you saying a woman doing what she wants as a woman is demeaning mm. to women?" It makes perfect right. sense. You can't say you're, de- you're a demeaning woman when she's a woman on her own volition doing what she wants. And also, they don't understand so. satire. Yes, that's that's exactly. the other problem. Yeah. Ridiculous. So I like mm. this woman. So I hope she yeah, made it. I hope so too. I hope she got uh, elected. I would vote for yeah, her if I could. Definitely. Jesus Christ. I mean, I, that's kind of almost uplifting in a way. I mean, that's what a bra does. I don't mean to say that, but it's. <laughs> that's perfect. <laughs> no pun intended. God damn. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, but it's you know it's one of those stories that, you, that that's a really nice story. Thank you for telling me this story. Yeah, mm-hmm. no problem. I mean, yeah, I want to, I want to, I want to balance yeah. things out. You know, I can't all be too yeah. negative. You know, I I just want to go back to the uh, New York Times uh, time machine. Uh, the the article you can actually see the actual newspaper printing, and you I can see the advertisements for other movies playing. During this time in 1956, April 28th, 1956, Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Fucking mm. A. That's yeah. a classic. Picnic, starring William Holden and Kim Novak. God mm. damn it. God. I wonder if the reviewer panned uh, the body of a snatcher. <laughs> that would be great. Yeah, I should really check. I should look too. that up. <laughs> Bosley Crowder. It's like, what a piece of this. shit. What a waste of Piece time. Piece of crap doesn't really do anything for me. He's just the resident uh, killjoy in the in the newsroom. Look at this man talking shit about foreign movies. movies. Henry Clouseau, uh, his movie Diabolique, it's a classic film, uh, classic French film. I, I don't. I think I saw it a long, long time ago. God damn! There's so many movie theaters in New York in the 1950s. God damn it! I know it's probably a sucky time to live, but god damn it that it was you could just walk down the street and watch a movie. Jesus Christ, that's mm, nice. Mm, mm. Anyway, I want to tell you about a different story. Can I tell yep. you a, a different story? This story comes from Is it is it about Japanese yeah, news? Yeah, it's Japanese news. But it it it's okay. Japanese news from the year 1964. Okay, not quite uh up to date current affairs but yeah that's fine uh, i want to hear it it's taking a little bit of time to uh queue up here it it does have a crossover to something um happening next year uh but yes the exactly the date is january 5th, 25th 1964 the title is japanese gambling on olympic payoff now, when we read this, I'm going to read this a little bit and we can take in the breathe in the optimism. And I have another article uh, queued up for the current Olympic uh, Malay that's going on. So that starts off 
Japan is staking her international prestige on the success of the Olympic Games to be held here next October. She she is confident of getting a long range return for her enormous in what this what is the New York Times. Uh, her enormous okay. investment and the preparatory pain she is undergoing. The Olympics being staged in an Asian nation for the first time will attract record-breaking numbers of visitors and bring Japan, by television and other news media, into the homes of people all over the world. Statistics indicate that total spending and preparation for the Games will amount to almost $2 billion. A large part of this is being put into public construction projects to improve the nation's transportation and communication networks before the arrival of the avalanche of tourists expected during the two-week period of the Games. So we have the Shinkansen being built at this time. And the first time that the Olympics are coming to Asia. And there's all this aid of government subsidies, government subsidies totaling $60 million. New to hotels are being rushed to completion. But even the large expansion of hotel space will leave the country short of guest accommodations. And Japanese tourist agencies are now de-emphasizing the Olympics and shifting prospective visitors to other periods when facilities here will be less strained. So there's this huge expectation of all these visitors coming to Japan to the Olympics in 1964. Now let's contrast this with an article I saw today or yesterday. Where is it? No, it's not that one. Is it that one? No. Ah, uh, yes, here we go. Sorry for the delay. This is from Japan Today regarding the Olympics for next year. Postponed Tokyo Olympics hits one year to go mark again. The Tokyo Olympics have hit the one year, one year mark to go again, but few are in a mood to, mood to celebrate. Tokyo observed the original date a year ago. That was before the COVID-19 pandemic postponed the Olympics and pushed back the opening to July 23rd, 2021. Fireworks cascaded over Tokyo Bay back then, and local celebrities unveiled the medals in a highly choreographed fashion. But there's none of that this time. Organizers produced a 15-minute no-fans event on Thursday inside the new National Stadium, screening a video to promote next year's opening. They also teased the presence of the Olympic flame, which arrived in Japan in March and had been hidden away ever since. The low-key event on a rainy day captures the mood. So the poll showed favorable readings. 23.9% favored holding the Olympics. 36.4% said the Olympics should be postponed again. And 33.7% said it should be canceled. So I just wanted mm. to present the incredible contrast between the the hope the hope of the 1964 Olympics and what it meant for Tokyo and Japan. First, people increasing tourists, a booming economy. The Shinkansen was going to be built, and it had so much deep meaning to the point where they were trying to filter tourists to other destinations or waiting till after the Olympics to come to Japan. And now mm. we're in a situation where they almost don't want people to come. And in fact, many Japanese people think it shouldn't be held at all. Makes sense. Yeah. 
it's really interesting to see how things change and what what can happen once these types of terrible occurrences happens and i think even before even five years ago when i thought about the olympics i was like i I don't want to see the olympics in tokyo Mm. why would i want to do that it's it's already overcrowded the city's overcrowded there's too many people they're going to move stuff for no reason move the the skiji market over to another place build this stadium when's it going to be used Mm. But back in the 60s, they really there was a real plan, and the, those things could be used up until the present. I mean, the, the Shinkansen bullet train system it still exists today and works as efficiently as it ever has. It's a, well, you talk about contrast, though. You talk about the difference mm. in public perception now. Mm. But some things don't change, like how shitty right. Godzilla is. <laughs> well, I did, you know, uh, ironically enough, I did watch a 1964 version of Godzilla. And I, I would have to say, as I mentioned in the podcast last week, I, I, I thought it was fucking amazing just because of the insanity of the whole movie and the, the plot. And the, the, mm. the, you could practically see the strings coming off of the birds flying in the sky and the, the realities that people accepted. But again, mm. But I, I'm sorry you for are, spoiling it to, the... to listeners who want to go back yeah. and listen to the Godzilla review. But yeah. uh, but you probably already know. I, I hated it. Whereas <laughs> Jerry liked it somewhat. Um, was entertained by it. Whereas I, I, I felt like it was uh, just an exercise in futility for me. I felt dumber. Mm. I felt really stupid having watched it. Um, mm. And that's not how I want to feel when I watch a movie. Right. So the New York Times guy, I don't know if he's still alive. I'll give you a fucking high five if I could. Yeah. I want to reach out to you and say, yeah, I want to read more of his reviews now because I think he's my man. Yeah. Bosley Crowther. <laughs> Bosley Crowther. Bosley Crowther, okay. Let's see. I'll do a, a quick search on him. Wikipedia died in 1981. Born 1905. Shit. Francis Bosley Crowther was an American journalist, author, and film critic for the New York Times 27 years. His work helped shape the career of many actors, directors, and screenwriters, though his reviews at times were perceived as unnecessarily mean. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, him and I would have got on like a house on fire. Yeah. (laughs) God damn, man. That's. uh... I I don't hold back my criticism. (laughs) <laughs> he's he survived yeah he survived by uh a grandson named wells C- crowther i wonder if that's uh orson wells and uh john crowther hmm. but uh yeah god damn he must have been so he must have been 50 uh what in his yeah in he was about 50s, 50 right yeah about 50 because he was born 1905 1956 that would have made him 51 Oh right, okay, so okay, yeah, fifty one. Yeah. yeah, I mean he's he's lived a pretty good life and I, I'd imagine even this type of movie. Yeah. Yeah. Even if I'm uh, you know, at that age, I don't mm-hmm. think you could probably see the potential of monster movies. So I'd like to think that if I'm back if I'm if I'm seeing a movie so close to when it's released, I might be a little more compassionate yeah. towards it. I don't Let's know. Let's see. He did he Difficult right, this is not a Japanese article, but Orson Welles' con- controversial Citizen Kane proves a sensational film at Palace. That uncertain feeling at Music Hall, great American broadcast at Roxy. Okay, so let's see what he says. 
Within the withering spotlight as no other film has ever been before, Orson Welles' Citizen Kane had his world premiere at the Palace last evening. Uh, uh, it's a much debated leap and it can be safely stated that the suppression of this film would have been a crime. For in spite of some disconcerting lapses and strange ambiguities in the creation of the principal character, Citizen Kane is far and away the most surprising and cinematically exciting motion picture to be seen here in many a moon. Great. So, yeah. There you go. I agree. Shall we go back to another news story? Here's one. Okay. What do you think of ninjas? Fucking awesome. Well, just recently, mm-hmm. there's a Mia Mia University just mm-hmm. award awards uh, awarded its first ever ninja studies degree. Oh, okay. Oh, what city is that? Yeah, I know you just Mie. said Mie. Mie, okay. Well, that's pretty yeah. interesting. Uh, does it talk about any of the classes that you can take for this course? Um, he said that he'd be training um, as a farmer in the morning and trained in martial mm-hmm. arts in the afternoon. Uh, what, what, what the hell? What? What? So you'd be growing vegetables and on? then working on martial arts uh-huh. techniques in the afternoon. And cool. uh, copious, it says copious ninja study in the classroom. So I'm I'm really fascinated by that. I think it's like, uh, yeah, uh, it's talking about secrecy, stealth, comprehensive survival skills, uh, learning. He says here, the guy who, is, his name is Mitsuhashi, he learned Kung Fu and a Japanese martial art known as Shorenji Kempo. I know Shorenji oh, Kempo. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it's like a defensive oh, okay. uh, martial art. So, so he taught mm-hmm. these, oh, I'm sorry, this isn't the, the student. This is the guy who's running the course. Hmm. Um, this is uh, from AFP, um, the news organization AFP. They came across this very exciting news about all those budding ninjas around the world who want a formal degree mm-hmm. on being becoming a ninja. Now right. you have your chance to prove yourself in Japan right. of yes. being worthy of this degree and what are so they're doing historical classes courses um yeah a lot of uh, and also just reviewing a lot of uh historical ninja documents so these are all very you know these uh i'd imagine very secretive documents yeah, that they wouldn't I, want out I, of the world. I, i've never heard that order of words before can you say that again secretive ninja documents yeah historical <laughs> sounds... <laughs> secretive historical ninja documents i, I love the sound of that yeah so uh, it sounds like it, yeah. Mm. About three students. Oh, actually, this has been going on for a while. Shit. Yeah. No, actually, no, 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 no. It's the first ever ninja studies degree, but they have been uh, offering courses on becoming a ninja before. So I think yeah. that's what's different. Um, they've had three students enroll, and uh, they think that there's going to be more inquiries. In fact, no, he says we get many inquiries from overseas. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, I, and, and, I, say, yeah. and he says, <laughs> he says <laughs> this is a course. I, he says, I have to say just one thing, okay, to everyone who inquires from overseas. I've got one thing to say to you. This is a course to learn about the ninja, not to become okay. one. <laughs> oh, that's fucking bullshit. Then. So you can't become a ninja. 
Yeah, fuck that. That's stupid. Yeah, nah, that's not what I had in mind. I want to become a ninja. Yeah, I'm going to talk about the ninja. I don't want to fucking do that. Just watch some old 80s ninja movies. Just learning about about the ninja? ninja. Shit, I can do that online. What do I need you for? Yeah, exactly. I mean, what are these historical documents that that you talk about? Well, well, maybe they could be interesting. Um, Maybe. Yeah, I mean, I think, uh, you know, anything could become an academic subject. You know, there's so there's so many different possibilities, uh, uh, but you know, there has to be some level of subjectivity when you get into something called ninja studies. And if you don't ever take a course on becoming a ninja, like you know, go through the process of it, then how can you really say that you know anything about being a ninja? You know, ninja comes across to me as like a you know having mastery over. Uh, like over a subject when you become a grand um when you learn like a real trade a tradesmith mm-hmm. in a way you know when you spend yeah. you're you're an apprentice and you've got right. a master who's endowing you with all this information and over the course of of many years yeah you learn the arts the subtle arts of becoming a ninja like with right. anything like becoming a blacksmith yeah. or becoming any anything back in the day you would uh you would apply yourself under the instruction of a, of a master and then right. at the end of that then you'd be able to freelance and go become um uh i forget the term but there was a term back in the day not in japan but just in i think it was in europe it was a i'm sorry i forgot it's like a free they call it a freelancer now mm-hmm. but back in the day it was, a, it was another term for it where you're where you now you're now you're a master now it's it's up to you to mm. apply it elsewhere Right. Or to teach others. Or to make money off it. Yeah. You get to a point where you just have to go off and do your own thing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, and that's how you become a master is by leaving the the nest, so mm-hmm. to speak. So that's a shittier, yeah, it's a shittier degree than I, I thought it was really cool, but now, yeah, my estimation of this degree has just gone down. Uh, so this is Mie University. So... Yes. Like, if you put that on your resume, what kind of job? Well, they did say farming. You're learning farming in the morning, so you're getting some skills. Is that? (laughs) (laughs) You grow your own. You can grow your own food. That sounds like choose your own major. (laughs) That doesn't even make any sense. (laughs) How do you come? I'm doing, uh, my major is ninja studies. <laughs> I wake up at 5 a.m. Oh, really? What do you do? You, like, learn how to climb trees in a suit or something? like? No, no, I, I plant seeds and pull weeds. Why? Because it's, you know, it's farming. Why? Doesn't make any sense. Mm. I, I mean, actually, all right. Yeah, go on. Oh, I'm sorry, you got something more to say about it? I mean, at least farming's practical. Yeah, that's my point. Yeah, yeah. so you're getting something out of it. Yeah. You can you can fend for yourself, you can buy a plot of land and and then if somebody tries to take your land <laughs> you They can will throw because a you ninja star. Well, <laughs> no, because you just learned about Shuriken, ninjas. Shuriken, what? 
What's that? You just learned about ninjas. You didn't become a ninja. So you can tell them about ninjas as they're stealing oh, your right. land. Yeah. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I'm sorry. I apologize. Hey, I forgot about the fact that it's all this academic. Yeah. There's no real practical application of what you learn. I'll have you know that ninjas have stars hidden in the backs of their pants. Well, they're smashing your head and Yeah. Yeah. Little known fact or maybe about they're, ninjas. Or maybe yeah. they're putting something, you know, maybe they're putting gas up your ass. Gas up your ass. <laughs> it's usually the opposite Oxygen. way. Yeah, yeah. That was a previous news uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, news yeah. podcast we did. Yeah. Talking oh, yeah, about the fascination right. yeah, yeah. with uh, with putting putting uh, objects up uh, up your friend's ass. Asshole. I guess that would that get would that constitute an oxygen destroyer? Do you think like yeah. a real life oxygen destroyer? <laughs> I don't know. I, mean, I don't want to think it's about like it. Oxygen going straight up your ass and then it kills you. So I think I'd rather die in the Godzilla version of an oxygen destroyer yeah. than than an actual object up my ass, a foreign yeah. object up my ass, which is how a couple of these guys died. Yeah, that's not a good way to go. I mean, at least, at least in the oxygen destroyer, it'd be relatively quick by yeah. comparison. And kind of noble if you were the main ca- character, you know, if mm. you were Serizawa Sensei. Yes, exactly. Uh, but if you're just goofing around in the factory with nothing to do and let some co-workers stick an air gun up your ass, then there's no nobility in that. There's nothing, there's no digni- dig- dignity in that. So, yeah. Yeah, okay. do you know, um, just quickly, there's this one uh, photo I came across. Okay. This was on Reddit. And it was a Muromachi era. Okay. Are you familiar with Muromachi? Yeah, I think period? it's right before Kamakura. Yeah, it's uh, 1336 to 1573. Year nice. 1336 to 1573. So it marks the governance of the Muromachi or Ashikaga mm-hmm. shogunate. Mm-hmm. Uh, the reason I bring this up, this period up, is because uh, in this photo there's a uh, graffiti oh, okay. on this wooden board, and uh, you know what it says? Wait, wait, go ahead. It says uh, it was nailed to an inner wall of a shrine mm-hmm. during modern renovations, mm-hmm. and this is from 1559. What is that? Go, go fuck says, the police or something like that. It yeah. says, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it says, it says, it says during, the, during the whole time we worked on this building, yeah. the stingy head priest uh-huh. didn't even give us one drink of short shoe, which is rice liquor. Yeah. What a huge cheapskate. This <laughs> totally sucked. <laughs> and it's got the names, Sakujiro and Tsukutaro. So it's got their names here. August 11th of the second year of Eiroku, which is 1559. Uh, so it was often because uh, it was often bruised. It was brewed by shrines. I'm yeah. sorry, it was brewed by Shinto priests at shrines, yeah. and it was customary to give some to travelers, pilgrims, and the like. And uh, obviously, this is notable because it contains the first mention of shortchu, mm-hmm. um, at least by the name it's called today. Wow, that's pretty. Uh, that's pretty insightful stuff there. I you know I re- I I do this sometimes I do this uh, singing stuff called shigin and one of the songs I was doing is from the Muromachi period and the theme oh, of really? the song yeah the theme of the song is like uh streets are crowded 
you know, I can't, I can't think clearly. I just want to get to the temple, and that's the only place where I can just clear my mind. It's like I have a drink. Yeah, have a drink. <laughs> it's like it, it, no matter what age we're in, we always think there's too many people. <laughs> it's like yeah, there's yeah, so yeah, many yeah. people. There was we have so much more, so many more people now. But even in the Muromachi period, people are like, fuck. And these people are complaining yeah. like, why do you suck? You suck. I mean, it, yeah, it's kind of yeah. nice to see those things because it really takes away the mysticism of it all, you know. At um, the end of the day, that's what I have a drink. Yeah. And this cheapskate fucking priest wouldn't yeah. give them any. So, yes. hey, I got an idea. Let's like fucking write this. Let's write yeah. about this fucking cheap bastard on this uh I love how it's a graffiti for future it's for, like for a posterity, <laughs> posterity purposes. So yeah. that some someone like like uh, future future fucking renovators can see yeah. how much of a prick this guy is. I think it's amazing because I you, you think like how literate of a society Japan was even hundreds and hundreds of years ago. I know that carpenters yeah. were literate. Exactly. Yeah, record keepers. It's amazing. Construction workers. Yeah, just. Lowly construction workers could write stuff and write it yeah. out. That's that's pretty good. That's good stuff. I like it. Um, so I'm gonna I'm gonna take you to the modern era. I'm gonna take us All back right. to the modern era, and yeah. something that's not from the New York Times time machine. Okay. This uh this there's a couple of articles that came out uh, last week. One is out of JapanToday.com. Listed dated July 16th, and my computer is slowly logging, loading up the article here. But basically, what's happening is starting from August, and familiar with this, uh, robots will be employed at convenience stores in a test of retail automation. So they'll be mm. stacking shelves of foods and walking around, moving about. Uh, 20 different shops in in family family marts and also from september there will be robots being employed at lawson as well another convenience store so i thought that that's pretty interesting uh that uh that it's getting to a point where it's no longer just that robot pepper that just sits in the middle of a store and when you pass it it goes hello talk to mm. me no, it doesn't just do that. It actually is going to be moving about, not just like in a factory fashion, right. but actually yeah, yeah. doing menial tasks within the convenience store. And then there's another one uh, regarding Mossberger. Mossberger has a new robot that's kind of uh, a reaction to, you know, the coronavirus stuff. So uh, less less contact with humans, but it's a cute little robot that sits on top of the counter. It'll take your order. Uh, let's see here. The the shop will have this done in Shinagawa War, Tokyo, from Monday to late August. The robot's only about twenty meter twenty centimeters tall, and it'll be placed near the cash register, and it'll recommend to customers items featured and ask if they want to do takeout and things like that. Uh, and it, actually, if a disabled person has difficulty getting out of the house. They can use a computer to operate the robot and respond to customers from a distance. So the, uh, mm. the company plans to utilize the results of the experiment in drive-through operations and in wait services with a self-propelled robot. Mm. And they 
they're going to begin these experiments as early as fiscal 2020. So I think that's pretty interesting. Uh, you know, robots are really starting to be more in public now in, in the Tokyo area, especially Tokyo. This is this is only in the inner wards of Tokyo. So uh, if, if uh, you're planning to go to Japan and other places, you probably won't see them. But in central areas, you might see mm. them because you live in Tokyo. So I have to look out um, for them. Yep. So that's my stories about robots. And you don't have any opinion on the on the matter of like automation, potentially taking over society and taking over jobs of what of what human beings used to do, disrupting the economy, perhaps uh, providing a uh, more reasons for a universal basic income, making people's people irrelevant, making uh, creating a useless class of individuals. You don't have any opinion on that? I agree with everything you said. It wasn't a, <laughs> wasn't stating it. That was like more of a question. I, 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 I think making. you had all this implication, <laughs> like this tone questions. in your voice made it sound like this is what you want me to think, so I'll just think that. No, no, not at all. Okay. <laughs> Robots over the generations of mankind have slowly but surely been taking over menial tasks. And now they've entered into the retail realm. And so it may come soon that people who make 800 yen per hour at the convenience store may lose their job. These non-regular workers who are not insured, fully insured, who have very difficult lives to live, will now be facing competition with robots. Now... I agree with Marsha McLuhan's assessment of this. In Understanding Media, written in 1964, he hypothesized that when automation takes over and humans are rendered useless in this industrialized world of menial task proficiency, that humans should be paid for learning. In other words, everyone should be paid to do a task that is intellectually fulfilling. I think that's an interesting way to look at it. Because if your emotional and intellectual sides are fulfilled and the government is able to sponsor your pursuits, much like a rich guy would have sponsored painters back in the 19th century, then I think we're on to something quite different because those are the things that robots can't do. They can't fulfill your own, your own desires and will to create. So a, a society in which we create and don't rely on menial factory jobs is, is an interesting, interesting way of looking at the world. What do you think? Yeah, I think... Uh... <laughs> I just think, have you ever watched Star Trek? Yes. As soon as we have the holodeck, that's the end of humanity. Right. I would never leave the holodeck. I don't know why they're so cavalier right. about this fucking place. On the, <laughs> I mean, why would you do anything else when you're when everything you want can be done in the holodeck? You can live out your you know your dreams. You can do anything. You, you can live whatever life you want. 
time would just go yeah. by uh, so quickly for her that I would never want to leave. It would yeah. be the ultimate reality. Um, so I don't want to get into an argument about whether we're in a, yeah. living in a simulated uh, reality now, but, I mean, just imagine having... Everything you want with the with the where they know where the holodeck knows exactly how to push my buttons. You know, provide the right amount of uh, challenge, the right amount of stimulus to keep me engaged. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. that would be the end. Why bother? Why bother living? Yeah. At that point, you know. I think uh, it gives a new a new frontier uh, of thinking and and emotional exploration. When you can actually, it, we we no longer have to question whether or not we are living in a situ a simulation, because even if we're living in a simulation, we're creating a, our own simulation. So we could be in a simulation within a simulation, and then we have some kind of authority over the world in which we inhabit. But I think it'll get to a point where we just create a reality where we kind of lose control, because that's when we have the the opportunity to overcome difficult things so i think that's one of the key elements of humanity is the the desire to find some to find a problem and try to overcome it so even if we get into these simulations i think we'll become to the point we'll be so bored with having control over over everything that we'll lose control within these realities hmm. well that's uh let's end it there so that's Japanese news. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs>